0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew, chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Brandon. Amen. As I started out saying um, saying earlier that, Uh, This is an important time for us leading into Resurrection Sunday and and so forth, and uh, we as evangelicals, if you will, refer to Easter as Resurrection Sunday because easter the word Easter is only found in the Bible one time, and I won't get sidetracked, and that's a whole sermon in itself, but we focus on the resurrection of Jesus, and... um, This is very important to us as Christians, as children of God, because if it was not for the work that was done at the cross, then this whole thing that we're doing here would be kind of pointless. Amen? And in today's message, what we're going to be looking at is God's plan for redemption as it unfolds. Um, several messages back, we talked about God's divine intention for man to have dominion over the earth. We know that that was sold out by the act of Adam and Eve and so forth and put man in sin. And then we know that the only way to redeem mankind back was through through someone who could be totally sinless without sin. And that was through his son, Jesus Christ. And it was prophesied uh, way back in the Old Testament that it was prophesied to happen. But this was all a part of God's plan, you know. And the sooner we can get down in our spirits that God is not a God of coincidence, that God is not a God that just randomly does, does things. Um, this is a plan in motion that was put in motion uh, from the back in the annals of time because God knew that this would have to be done. Amen. So what we're looking at today is how this plan of redemption unfolds. And we're going to look at a place in time that takes place approximately one week before actual Resurrection Sunday, actually before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So, if you will, turn to Matthew verse, uh, chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. Okay. And we're going to, to look at these events. And, of course, the fascinating thing with Scripture is that while we are reading in the New Testament that there are many references to Old Testament, you know, which again shows how the Bible is indeed unified. It's not... It's not just um, separated the way some would hold, they hold it to, to be. It's uh, definitely unified. But looking at the events here at chapter 21 and starting with verse number 1. And when they drew near unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village opposite you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say anything unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Okay? So Jesus said, there's going to be, you'll find a donkey there, and so forth. Uh, Don't go stealing them. He's basically saying, if there's anyone there, tell them that the Lord needs them, and so forth and that the man will give him to you. Verse number 4 says, All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek, and sitting upon an ass in a colt, the foal of an ass. All right? Now, let's put a bookmark there. And again, I just need to show you how God's plan is such a wonderful... Put a bookmark here, and let's go to Zachari- Zechariah 9. Okay? Zechariah 9. Okay, while you're turning there, um, while you're turning to Zechariah 9, Zechariah 9 is on page 971, if you happen to be reading the exact same Bible that I have anyway, okay. While you're turning there, that's in the Old Old Testament, um, just before Malachi, okay, Malachi is the dividing, okay. Okay, exactly right. While well, you're turning there. uh okay. So now, in, in the New Testament, now it's being stated here in verse number four, which you should highlight or underline. All this was done, what Jesus just said. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Okay. So what was what was spoken by the prophet? Jesus is saying, or you know, the scripture is saying here, is to go and find this ass to take me into Jerusalem. Okay? If you go to Zechariah 9, verse number 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon uh, an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Alright? Now, just for you folks who are Bible students and everything, Zechariah here was written some 600 years before Christ. Okay? So, that prophecy was given 600 Years before these events actually happened. And then lo and behold, what does Jesus say? Go and find this, you'll find this colt and this and this uh foal that will be there to bring them bring that animal to me. Then it goes on to say in verse number six, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the way. And pausing there again, again, now you see, the problem with our Jewish brethren today, those that are Orthodox Jews, that still do not accept Jesus Christ as Messiah, is that they always felt that when Messiah did come, he would come in splendor. Purple robes and trumpets blaring and all this sort of thing, you see. But Jesus, the epitome of humility, as prophesied, came in riding on an ass. A donkey, a lowly donkey, you see. So again, just like Jesus was born in humility, everything through his life is is humble, is humility, all right? So that's why God orchestrated this, to show him coming in into town here with humility. Now, in verse number 8, where it says, A very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them in the way. Underline the word branches there. Okay? Put a bookmark in Matthew, and let's flip back to John. Okay, you underline the word branches and go to John number 12. I'm going to these lengths because the reason why so many Christians suffer is because they just don't, they just don't understand, understand the Bible and understand the word and understand why things happen and are done the way they do. Put a bookmark there and you go to John chapter 12. And we read 12 and starting at 12. John 12:12, 12, 12, New Testament, John 12:12. 12, 12. On the next day, many people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees. Please underline branches of palm trees. Took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna! Blessed is he, the King of Israel, who comes in the name of the Lord. Okay. Now this is the same gospel. It's the same account. That's talking, being talked about by the, by the uh, Apostle John here, the disciple John, all right? It's the same as Matthew. The only thing here is that John chooses to call and choose to articulate or define what the branches were, and that is palm, all right? There's the only scripture of the four Gospels that says that those branches that the crowd was waving was palm. So the point being there is, again, to see how his history has played out. This is where the name Palm Sunday came from. Because they used palm to greet Jesus into into Jerusalem. All right, But there is no inherent power in palm. There is no holiness. There's no magic in palm. But for countless centuries over the years, and I know as a youngster growing up in church and so forth, Palm Sunday was a big thing. In the back of the church, they always had palm to give out. And after the service, you were allowed to go back there and pick up some palm and take it home with you. And that's where Christians often lost their their holiness and their piety because I remember seeing them fighting over who had the biggest branches in the back of the room so how quickly they go from being holy to fighting over palm. But I'm just pointing out to say that there's no magic in palm because I've seen those same people fashion those palm stalks or stems into crosses. I've seen them fold them and cut them and and then put them over their beds for protection. You see? So here you've taken something that is simply uh, um, uh, um, referred to in Scripture and they're taking it to a whole other level here where they're making palm something holy, you see. And this is where we run askew of of worshiping God. This is where we turn a little thing like a piece of palm into an idol, if you will. Okay? So, again, I point this out as a side note to you because we can see here how quickly we can go astray, you know, and missing, and missing what the real point is. So, now, going back to Matthew here. Going back to Matthew, where you had a bookmark there and verse 8 again, and a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches. Now we know that those branches were palm branches from the trees and spread them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So, this crowd here was just screaming for him and, and adoring him. And this is Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. This crowd Was triumphing over Jesus Coming in so joyful This very same crowd Very same crowd A short week later Would be calling for his death The same crowd who was heralding Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord Approximately one week later Would be saying crucify him Crucify him Amen (laughs) So you see it continues here and it says In verse number 10 and when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats, and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, what's happening here? Up until this point in time, from the time that Jesus was baptized by John and Holy Spirit came down upon him, Jesus was traveling about Capernaum and so on like that, and he was preaching and, and and laying hands on people and so on like that, and his fame was beginning to grow. But now Jesus also knew that he had to get to the cross. The whole thing, it was for him to get to the cross, you know. When Jesus had prayed, in a, or will be praying in the garden in Gethsemane to let this cup pass from me, what Jesus was talking about, not, not the crucifixion, he was God. He couldn't handle the crucifixion, but he was praying about, and didn't want to happen. Was the separation from God the Father, because he knew he was about to take the sins of mankind on him. All right, but this whole plan that God was working out had to come to pass. So now Jesus was coming into the seat of all religious authority, if you will, into Jerusalem, and we know that Jesus was a radical, if you will, as opposed as, as con- compared to the religions, the religious speakers, and what they were practicing of the time. Jesus was a religious radical because he was not preaching in sync with the scribes and the Pharisees. So now he's going right into the hornet's nest here, and we'll see what he's about to do. The first thing he runs about, runs into, he comes into town on an ass, a donkey, and everyone's praising him. The Jewish scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders, don't like that. Then he goes right into the temple, and he overturns the tables, and he says, you've turned the temple into a den of thieves. Here you're trading and buying and doing this and so forth, you see. And the reason why I was saying thieves because in preparing for the Passover, folks had to buy sacrificial animals, and not all of them could afford to buy a goat, a sheep, a lamb, rather. Right? So in this temple, they had all sorts of turtle doves and all sorts of other animals, and there were money changers in there, you know, almost like if you go to Canada, you got to exchange your money to fit the Canadian um, uh, monetary system or something like that. So they were changing, but they were also cheating people there, Right. In the same token today though, have we made the church of God a den of thieves, in that we've gotten away from what the church is really meant to be? All right. Have we missed what what church what the meaning of of the body of Christ is meant to be? Have we gotten away from that and turned it so much into a commercial event? You know? So how far have we strayed, you know, from this today? You know, and we need to stop and think about that sometime what is the main reason that we go to church why do we really worship God you, you know what is the reason that when we're in the sanctuary and the sanctuary doesn't have to be a big and fancy building I mean you can be out in the field worshiping God someplace, and you're doing this in the name of Jesus Holy Spirit's going to join you there you see but how much do we focus on really really treating the house of God for the reason that it was intended so he goes on to say in verse number 14 here and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying Hosanna to the son of David they were very displeased please don't line, they were very displeased okay now we also know as I said this had to happen if they were pleased with Jesus it isn't very likely that he would have gotten to the cross to be crucified now would he all right, if they were in favor of what he was doing, would they have said, crucify him, kill him? No, I don't think so, you see. So Jesus now, in telling the truth and really showing them what quote-unquote religion is all about and, and reminding them, now they're getting upset. Verse number 16 says, and said unto him, "Here is thou what these say, and Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have ye never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he was hungry. And when he saw a fig tree along the way, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto him, to them, Verily, remember what I said when you see the word verily, when you see the word verily it means that here comes a dynamite truth that is about to hit you here. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith, underline faith, and doubt not, underline doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say, underline the word say, unto this mountain be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things, whatever you shall ask in my prayer, in in prayer, believing, underline believing, you shall receive. You shall receive, okay? So looking back at what he's saying there, first of all, he says, it says that, that he did what to the tree? He spoke to the fig tree. He didn't say that he thought to the fig tree. He says that he spoke to the fig tree. Then he says in twenty one, "Verily I say unto you: First of all, you got to have faith and doubt not. Okay, you should not only do what was done to the fig tree, but if you shall say unto this mountain, in other words, speak to the mountain, the mountain here is representative of those problems that are in your lives, things that are in your lives that are really really troublesome. They seem like a mountain of a problem because they seem to be insurmountable." When you've got something in your life that you're praying for, something that you're struggling for, something that you want to come to pass, and you're really having a hard time dealing with it, it seems like a mountain of a problem. You've probably heard the expression, this thing, it's a mountain of a problem. So what Jesus is saying is that if you have faith and you doubt not, whatever you you say to the mountain, if you say, be removed, it shall be cast into the sea. Now, we know that we don't have, God knows that we don't have physical mountains standing in front of us, (laughs) God forbid, that you need to get past. But if you've got that mountain of a problem that's in your life, what this is saying to you is for you to speak to that mountain, speak to that problem. And you say, in the name of Jesus, finances or lack, in the name of Jesus, I command you to be gone. I speak prosperity to myself. If there's illness and sickness, you say, in the name of Jesus, you speak it in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you, spirit of infirmity. I speak healing to myself, because with Jesus' stripes I am healed. You speak the word of God back. So this is what Jesus is saying. You know, the funny thing about us Christians is that it seems so odd and so difficult for us to feel ourselves or envision ourselves speaking, literally verbally speaking to a problem, talking out loud to a problem, you see. For us Christians it seems to be very hard. But on the other hand, those that are in the occult practices, those that are into devil worship, those that are into demonology... What do you think the chanting of evil, evil um, cantations is all about? They don't think those evil cantations, they speak them. Because they've latched on to the fact that speaking for things has a spiritual reality. Okay? It has a spiritual reality In business there's something that's called self-fulfilling prophecy And that is if you, if you start talking about things About your business failing You keep speaking failure to it That'll wind up failing You have a child that you're raising You keep speaking that it's stupid You keep speaking that it's going to fail The child winds up failing In days of old and ancient times The names that people gave their babies Had meaning to it So when they called that baby's name It was fulfilling, it was edifying to the child that's another reason that we have to be so careful what we name our kids. You know, I think because Shakina Nene sounds like it's cool. <laughs> you don't know what that may mean. <laughs> okay, so don't go picking some old weird name until you know what the root possibly might be. You'll be cursing your kid forever, not to say what he's going to go through when he gets to school. But anyway, so so speaking so, so 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 speaking forth to your problem, the point I'm making here is that those that are non-Christian, especially that are, are into Demonic and occultic practices, they've latched on to the reality of speaking for things. But we Christians, for some reason, we feel strange and odd if we're in an empty room and we start speaking to a problem because we forget that the room that you're in is not empty. If you've got a problem and you're praying, you have to believe that God is there. All right? If you can't really bring yourself to believe that God is in the room with you, well, first you start off with a very fundamental problem right there because that speaks to your lack of faith and doubt. And doubt that might be in your life, all right? So what Jesus is saying in this very, very powerful couple of verses here Is to speak to those mountain and they shall be removed In verse 22 And all things, whatever you shall ask in prayer Believing you shall receive Now, don't forget again where he's speaking this And who he's saying this to Verse 23 says And when he was coming to the temple The chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him As he was teaching and said By what authority do you, uh, do you say these things? Do you do these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I love the way Jesus thinks. I mean, he's Holy Spirit-filled, Holy Spirit so listen, watch how wise he is here. And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where was it? From heaven or, or of men? And they reasoned with themselves. In other words, they spoke to themselves, were whispering, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say from men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. So they found themselves in a quandary here, okay? Because if they supported that John was indeed speaking <laughs> speaking for God, and they said, Then why did you behead him? <laughs> all right? You know, why did you do what you did, you see? And then they say the other way around, you know, if he got it from men, then they say, Well, they hold him as a prophet So that's problematic for them too These being This is the, the, the religious people of, of the time These are the scribes and the Pharisees And they answered Jesus and said We cannot tell And he said unto them Neither tell I you By what authority I do these things Now you see how the Holy Spirit gave Jesus the words to say All right You know, he put them into a position that no matter which way that they answered, uh, 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 it it would be something that would be problematic for them, you see. In the same way that God guided Jesus, God can guide us too in making decisions and things that we say. Verse 28 says, But what think you? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. And he came to the second and said the same, And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the tax collectors and the harlots will go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. You believed him not. But the tax collectors and the harlots believed him. And you, when he had seen it, repented not afterwards um, that you might believe him. So, in other words, he's, going up, he's throwing up two examples, and he says, if someone tells you to do something, God tells you to do something, you know, and you say that you won't do it, right? God gives us many times instructions. God many times gives us a mission, And it may be uncomfortable for us. You feel that God is leading you to do something, and it may feel uncomfortable. But then afterwards, you come to your senses and you say, Okay, Lord, I hear you. I go and do it. I'll go and do it. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Maybe at first you told God, God, this is too big for me, because many times when God wants you to do something, it feels like it's way and beyond what you can accomplish. And you hesitate, but then you come back around and you say, "Okay, Okay, God, I'll do it. That's a good thing. When you say to God, okay, God, yes, I hear you, aye, aye, and then you don't do it, okay? That's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Not at all. All right. And this is what he was saying when he's talking to them. Again, he's talking about the religious establishment of the time. These are the men who claim that in the name of God they're going to do things, so many things for the people, so many things for the widow, for the poor, and everything else that these religious men were supposed to be doing. But they weren't doing that. So what Jesus is saying, that the tax collectors, in that, in that day the tax collector was someone that was really hated, because they were collecting taxes for Rome, all right, and greatly mistreated people, took women's houses, widows' houses, and things like that to pay the tax. They were hated, all right, so they weren't the favorite people. So Jesus is saying, even the tax collectors and, and the harlots, you know, those that are into prostitution, they heard what was being said, and they followed, and they followed. And they said, and because of that, Jesus is saying, they'll be blessed. But the Pharisees, the religious people who wore all of their beautiful robes who were walking around trying to pretend like I'm so holy and this is what I do, they weren't doing it. They weren't doing it. You see? So what does this mean to us today in the 21st century is how how are we walking with God? Are we telling God when, when we're by ourselves, okay God, I'll do this, I'll do this, but then we don't do it. Are we telling people when it's advantageous to us that I'm a Christian, alright, but you're not living it? You know, you know, when when you stand up and everyone says in some sort of a class or wherever you're gathering, all the Christians raise your hand and you raise it because you want to be seen as Christian. But are you living it? You know, if you win an Oscar or an Emmy or one of those music awards and you stand up there at the stage in the microphone and you're talking about all the glory to God and all of this good stuff. And you're wearing a cross that's two feet long and the music that you're getting the award by is based on every bit of foul language that you can you can think of. Yes, so at that time, because it's they think it's in or it's popular to say, I'm a Christian, okay, but they're not doing it, this is what Jesus is talking about. It's hypocrisy, you know, it's hypocrisy. And, you, and you, you can't expect to benefit from that, you see. So this is the message now that Jesus, coming up to the crucifixion, this is the message that Jesus is hitting them between the eyes with. He's letting them hear unadulterated, unwatered truth. And he knows that these are the people who really can't stand to hear it. But he's being truthful and he's hitting them, telling them what the Father is all about. Then he goes on to say... um Verse thirty two again, for John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the tax collectors and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, repented not after you didn't repent, that you might believe him. Here another parable. There was a certain householder who planted a vineyard, and hedged it round about, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenant farmers, and went into a far country. Okay? Now follow what he's saying. Farmer, and he's giving it to people to tend to, to take care of the land while he's gone. 34. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the farmers, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the farmers took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. But last of all, he sent unto them his son. Please underline the word son, and draw a line in your margin and write the word Jesus. I'll explain this in a minute. The last of of all he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the farmers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. He's in the line, come, let us kill him. Come, let us kill him. And let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard comes... What will he do unto the farmers? Okay? Now, what he's talking about there, if you go back to verse 34, when it says that, And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants. These are the prophets. So this is talking about God. God is saying that he sent his prophets to the people. He sent them. What did they do to the prophets? They killed them. Would you know that to be a fact? They killed them. Sent more prophets to the people? They killed them. They sent his son, in verse number 30, verse 37. Last of all, he sent them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But what did they do? They killed him. You see? See? And then it goes on to say in verse 39, they caught him and cast him into the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard come, which is God, what will, he, will be done to the farmers? Now, verse 41, if you have a red line Bible, by the way, the verses we've been reading is, are written in red, meaning that this is Jesus doing the speaking. Verse 41 now is in black, so now this is what the Pharisees are saying back to him. They say unto him, um, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will lease his vineyard unto other farmers who shall render him the fruits in their seasons. So Jesus comes back and says to them in 42, Did you never read the scriptures? Now, these are are religious men, supposedly. Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, a nation bringing forth the fruits of it. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him unto power. All right? So 43 there is saying, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits of it. These men were not doing what God was telling them to do. And we know that as the scribes and Pharisees, obviously, you know, Christianity, because of Jesus, Christianity came along and everything, everything from them was, uh, uh, it, uh, was, was, taken, was taken away from them. You see? And now what I, I want to pause this for a second. I want to flip real quickly to Luke, Luke um Chapter 6, Luke 6, okay, and while you're at Luke 6 and you're going to verse 46, I just need to tie something together here. And while you're there, and before we act, before we actually start reading, I'm going to reread to you verse 32 from uh, from Matthew there, where it says, "For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and you believed him not, but the tax collectors and the harlots believed him, and you, when you had seen it, repented not afterwards that you might believe him." Then when you go to Luke uh, Luke 6 verse 46. He says here, and again, this is Jesus doing the speaking here. He says, And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Please in the line, and do not the things which I say. They says, Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? You know, and that's something you need to ask yourself. You know, why do you call God, God? Why do you call Jesus your Lord? Why do you think of him as your Lord if you're not doing what he says, says you should do? Verse 47 says, Whosoever comes to me and hears my saying and does them, I will show you to whom he is like. In other words, if you come to Jesus and you're doing what he says, then this is what you are like. Verse 48. He is like a man who built a house and dug deep and laid the foundations on rock. on the line, rock, on rock. All right? And laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood rose... The stream or the water beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it. Please align no could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. On the line, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation, pleasing no alignment without a foundation, built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it fell. Underlined and immediately it fell. And the ruin of the house was great. And underlined the ruin of the house was great. So what Jesus is saying there, and this is something that we all need to think about, if we claim